It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Monday morning and welcome in to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. As you just heard, it is the Ryan Hickey Show with you here for the next two hours on this Monday morning with no shortage of topics to get into. If you're watching the stream here, plenty of different ways to check us out on this Monday morning, whether it's Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, whether it's on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. WWSRN underscore radio. Also on Twitter at Ryan Hickey Show and YouTube Worldwide Sports Radio Network or our tremendous app WWSRN for iPhone, Worldwide Sports Network for Android. You can kind of see on this Monday morning, I am rocking my Penn State polo. Why is that, you ask? I'm glad you asked. Thank you. Huge weekend for the Nets. Big whiteout victory taking down the 22nd ranked Auburn Tigers. And not only do they just get a big win, cruising on up in the rankings all the way to number six. Your boy was in attendance, part of the Whiteout crew, an incredible, incredible weekend. We'll tell you more about it in an hour from now because the Nenny Lions, spoiler alert, were a big winner over the weekend in college football. There was another team I thought was a huge winner and two major losers. Two winners, two losers of college football. We will get into that in an hour or so from now. But between now and then, a ton of NFL to get into. So let's dive in. Let's go. As a reminder, we are coming to you live from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, where it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners. Make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. Are the Raiders real? We'll get to that in 20 minutes from now. But what was very real last night, where we will start on this Monday morning, is the Sunday night game. Ravens-Chiefs. A game that I thought was extremely important from Baltimore's perspective. A game, I'll be honest, I did not have the Ravens winning. I really thought this was going to be a Chiefs game. But not only did they win, I thought they would control the game. Injuries, history. For how the Lamar Jackson-Patrick Mahomes rivalry, if you want to call it that, has gone the last three years or so. But last night, with the Ravens winning 36-35, to to me, was the biggest win of Lamar Jackson's career. That is right. He has won a playoff game. He won so last year on the road, beating the Tennessee Titans in the wild card round. But even with that said, last night to me, was the biggest win of Lamar Jackson's career. Not because it helped the Ravens avoid an 0-2 start. Not because it happened just on Sunday Night Football against the Chiefs. It's because this game, they finally were able to slay the Dragon. That has been the Kansas City Chiefs, again, since 2018, since Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson started facing each other. Because it has not gone the Ravens' way at all since those two have played And really, you can make the argument, you could say, the Chiefs have owned the Ravens the last three years. That's why, to me, this win last night was so important. Because not only, again, you kind of slay the dragon. To me, this changes the trajectory of the entire season. Huge confidence-building win going forward for the Ravens. Can't believe they won. Props to them. Kudos for them. 
But here's why I feel confident saying this is the most uh, impressive win of Lamar Jackson's career. Really, I have two reasons for it. One, we kind of mentioned how the Chiefs have owned the Ravens. He finally played well against a team that's had his number. And not only did he do that, he did so by overcoming adversity. Which is, you know, for the Ravens, we have seen in some pressure moments, in some big games, Lamar has disappeared. So we'll get to that in a second. Let's start with, though, Lamar himself and finally playing well against the Chiefs, something he's been unable to do really throughout his entire career. Because the Chiefs have been the one team in Lamar Jackson's career that have been, as he said, after last year's 34-20 loss on Monday Night Football, the Chiefs have been the Ravens' kryptonite. Because you look at the stats. Before last night, heading to last night's game, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens were 0-3 against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, 0-3. I mean, that's not something to really be that upset about considering the Chiefs beat everybody, right? That's just that's how the Chiefs roll with Patrick Mahomes. There's a reason why they're the best team in the NFL when he's their quarterback. But when you look at the numbers outside of just the Chiefs for the Ravens and Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson against the other 30 teams in the NFL is 30-5. and So he's 0-3 versus the Chiefs. But he's 30-5 and against the rest of the NFL. When you look at his completion percentage, when he goes against the Chiefs, he's completing just 52.6% of his passes for just about 170 yards per game. So he's completing half his passes, just 170 passing yards per game against everyone else. The other 30 teams in the NFL, Lamar Jackson's completion percentage, 65%, averaging 192 passing yards per game. So again, a boost and a spike in completion percentage. He's thrown for almost 20 yards or over 20 yards per game, more against everyone else compared to the Chiefs. His passer rating is just 78.8 against the Chiefs. Against everybody else, 104.9. So again, this is, this is a huge kind of discrepancy between the Chiefs and everyone else. And for me, it was almost the mindset for the Ravens of knowing the Chiefs have a number that got me so concerned. And why I put so much emphasis on last night's game for Baltimore is because they really kind of have to get over that hurdle. Mentally, even. Just be able to be like, we can compete and we can beat the Chiefs. To actually see it happen to me is going to be huge for Lamar's confidence and for this team's confidence going forward. And it's not only, right, that they won last night. That would have been perfect and gravy for the Ravens, right? Just, hey, any win doesn't matter if it's 3 nothing, 6-3, or 9-9-98. However you win the game would have been huge for Baltimore. But it's also almost icing on the cake, if you will, that not only did they win, but they win because of Lamar Jackson, because he was the catalyst. And as we just mentioned, He's been anything but that against the Chiefs. He has really just been Clark Kent, if you will, if Lamar is Superman against every other team in the NFL. He has really struggled against the Chiefs. So that's why it's huge for him and his confidence that not only were they able to win, they were able to win because of Lamar Jackson. Through for 239 passing yards, one touchdown. When you look at last year, he was held to under 100 yards passing on that Monday night game in which the Chiefs won by two touchdowns. So you followed that up 239 passing yards, also ran for 107 yards, two touchdowns, including, as we know, the game-winning or the eventual game-winning touchdown, but also, just as importantly, had the game-winning fourth-and-one conversion to put the game away, which I love John Harbaugh going for. Props to you. You're in your own end, right? You're, you're on your own 43-yard line. 
Maybe, you know, maybe either way you lose because you punt the ball back to the Chiefs. We saw how quickly they were able to move up and down the field before the fumble uh, by Clyde edwards Lloyd gave the Ravens the ball back with just over a minute left. But I love the fourth down conversion and good for Lamar. Ball's in his hands. You give the best player in your team the ball and the Ravens were able to get it done. Lamar was the guy leading the charge and especially in the second half. He was almost unstoppable. He was unstoppable, just one punt in the second half for Baltimore. They scored in every other possession they had. And again, they were able to keep up, come back, and win the Chiefs. So it's not only that they won. Lamar Jackson being the catalyst for the win was huge going forward. But also, let's not forget here. The other reason why I think this is such a massive win going forward is because of how the game started. The adversity the Ravens had to face right away. Because for me... Part of the reason why we just mentioned before, the thing that scared me for Baltimore was more the mental aspect. Because leading into this game, I can't lie, I was nervous. I was very nervous for how the Ravens were treating this game. You had Sammy Watkins, former Chief, who's been on the other side of the rivalry, knows how the Chiefs view the Ravens. He came over, he's on the Baltimore team this year. He was talking about how this is such an important win or such an important game for Lamar to get over the hump. He saw him firsthand struggle against this Chiefs defense. That, as we know, it's not the 85 Bears defense. This is not one of the best defenses in the NFL. If anything, when it's average, that's, you know, what Steve Spagnuolo is doing his job to the greatest. Just have an average defense. So this is not world beaters here that was really kind of slowing down Lamar Jackson. So it's almost like mentally, can Lamar get over the hump, get over the hurdle of just trying to finally beat the team that has owned him throughout his entire career? You had Marlon Humphrey talking about the importance of this game. You had Sammy Watkins talking about the importance of this game. You had last year Lamar Jackson calling the Chiefs his kryptonite. That, to me, the mental aspect of win or, or loss for Baltimore going forward from this game was going to have a huge impact on their season. And they were able to get over the hump. But I will give the Ravens and Lamar especially a ton of credit I will be honest, I doubted the mental toughness from Baltimore. I did. Throwing the pick six on the first drive of the game, I could have said game over right there. Game over right there. Because now you go against a team that you know has kind of owned you. You want to get off to a good start. Second pass of the game, boom. Interception, Tyron Matthew runs, runs it back for a pick six. You know, Patrick Hubs lining on the field, it's already 7 nothing. Throw an interception later on in the first quarter. I really thought those two early picks would have doomed Lamar and the Ravens' offense. We've seen him kind of become a shell of himself. It doesn't happen very often, but it does seem to happen against this Chiefs defense. Maybe because he puts extra pressure on himself to keep up with Lamar, uh, with Patrick Holmes. Maybe even though he says it's not me versus Patrick Holmes, he sees how Mahomes goes and says, I got to keep up with this guy. Whatever it was, there's always added pressure and there's always kind of Lamar Jackson looking human against Kansas City. And despite the early, early struggles, credit to him, credit to the Ravens, they never panicked, they never quit. Because even the second half, right? You're down 34, uh, 35-24, heading into the fourth quarter. Chiefs offense is still moving the ball really well. And then, down by 11, obviously they do get the win, 36-35, you have Lamar Jackson pulling off the biggest fourth quarter comeback of his career. No better time to have it than last night against Kansas City. And also, no better time to do it than with all the injuries that were ravaging the Ravens, which, again, to me, makes this win so much more impressive. When you look at the bodies that were not available, now, we know the running back situation has been a total mess. And Devontae Freeman, you had Tashawn Williams, you had Latavius Murray, excuse me, 
all new faces here in the running back room, rotating in. No Ronnie Stanley, your best offensive lineman, missed the game after trying to work his way back. Still had some injury issues from Monday night, was not able to play. No Rashad Babin, your first-round pick at wide receiver, still has yet to make his season debut. And the Ravens right now, just two games into the season, have 14 players already on IR. So just injury-wise alone, forget the past history, say there's no way the Ravens can keep up with the Chiefs. We have all these injuries. Marcus Peters was hurt before the season even started. Big loss to their secondary. There was a lot going against Baltimore in this game. Credit to them for turning it around and getting a huge, huge win, which again, to me, is massive in so many ways. You finally kind of overcome your kryptonite. You beat the team that has owned you throughout your, the duration of your career if you're Lamar Jackson. You overcome adversity, including an, an early pick six on the second pass of the game and another interception later on the fourth, uh, in the first quarter to bounce back and have a really strong second half. And for me, this all adds up. When you look at the circumstances, when you look at the past history of Lamar against the Chiefs, when you look at trying to avoid an 0-2 hole to start the season, this was the biggest win of Lamar Jackson's career. I think it's going to be a huge, huge confidence boost for the Ravens going forward here. This is when I don't think many people, maybe even including the Ravens, expected to get, and they got. Props to them. Huge, huge win for Lamar Jackson. So I'm curious your thoughts here. I think it's Lamar Jackson's biggest win of his career, even including the playoff game up against Tennessee that he won last year. This will be huge, I think, of kind of finally slaying the dragon, defeating the boogeyman, if you will, that have been the Chiefs so far in this four-year history of Lamar Jackson versus Patrick Holmes. What do you think? Would you go there? Is it the biggest win of Lamar Jackson's career? Plenty of different ways to get involved in the show. Facebook, Worldwide Sports right now, because that's where the live stream is. Comment right there on Facebook. Uh, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio. Also on Twitter, at Ryan Hickey Show. At Ryan Hickey Show is where you can not only comment there, but watch the stream live on Twitter. Nice and simple. A little two for one there. YouTube, we have a comment section as well. Worldwide Sports Network. Is this the biggest win of Lamar Jackson's career? We'll take your thoughts. And when we do return, are the Raiders real? Raiders moved to 2-0 on the season after a big road win over the Steelers in Pittsburgh. Is it time to buy in to the Raiders? I'll give you my answer when the Ryan Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back in to the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, reacting to the big, massive Baltimore Ravens win over the Chiefs on Sunday Night Football last night. To move to 1-1 on the season, but to me, it's much more than that. It's much more than just avoiding an 0-2 start to what was supposed to be a promising year heading in. It's more than just overcoming the rash of injuries that have really ravaged the Ravens roster so far this season. This is honestly about confidence going forward. This is about slaying the dragon. Lamar Jackson has been owned throughout his career in the three games prior to last night against the Chiefs. You look at his stats. Completion percentage, passer rating, yards per game record. It is all pales in comparison 
to how he plays against the other 30 teams in the NFL. Now, that's why to me, last night's victory was the most important victory of Lamar Jackson's career. He finally got over the hump. He finally was able to beat the team that has owned him throughout his entire career. And not only do so, be the reason that you win, right? Not just kind of be a part of it and have maybe the defense play out of their mind or have one of the running backs step in and go for 150, 200 yards and just be unstoppable. This game was won by Lamar Jackson. Two rushing touchdowns, was making some good passes, brought the Ravens back, biggest fourth quarter comeback of his career. And that huge fourth and one conversion to seal the game, seal the win, and finally get the monkey off his back. There was a lot of pressure. There was a lot of, I think, pressure, to repeat myself, uh, on the Ravens and put on the Ravens by themselves to try to win this game and try to reverse the trend that has been Kansas City dominating this rivalry the last three years. And I was nervous, to be completely honest, that this win would set the Ravens back in the wrong direction. When you put so much pressure on yourself for one game to try to finally avenge a team that has owned you, and you lose again at home on a national stage, my concern for their confidence going forward would have been massive. And not only in the regular season, I think it would have been more damaging heading to the postseason. Because, it's, again, it's one of those things where if you think it, it's always in the back of your mind, oh, we can't beat this team. They have our number. And you have to play them in the postseason. Let's call for what it is, right? The Ravens have Super Bowl aspirations. This year for them is Super Bowl or bust. They've been to the playoffs. You had Lamar win a playoff game. The next stretch is getting to the Super Bowl. Well, how do you do that? You're beating the only team that really has stood in the way of between you and the Super Bowl the last three years. That's been the Kansas City Chiefs. No AFC team is gone to the Super Bowl in 2019 or 2020. The only team to get them by so far, the Patrick Holmes era, has been the New England Patriots. So that is the biggest roadblock if you want to get to the Super Bowl. You're going to have to beat the, the Chiefs at one point or another in the playoffs to get there. And having that line kind of looming over your head, always in the back of your mind, like, ah, oh, this is a team we can't beat. They have our number. Lamar's really struggled. To go into Arrowhead in the playoffs in January, good luck. Good luck trying to beat the Chiefs for the first time in your career in a playoff game in Arrowhead in January. That's why this win last night was so massive. You give the team the confidence. You finally get the monkey off their back. Now you play the Chiefs in the, in the playoffs. It's still a tough task. Don't get me wrong. Beating the Chiefs twice in one season is going to be a very tough task for the Ravens. But now going into that game, if they do play them in, the uh, in the postseason, you have confidence. You have the feeling that we can get this done. We can go into Kansas City and win. You have the belief. And as corny as that sounds, that's half the battle. Believing you can win. Knowing you have the team to win. Sometimes, you know, plenty of teams go into games where they already know they're beat. That won't happen to the Ravens this year going forward. Because they got the biggest win of Lamar Jackson's career last night. So I'm curious your thoughts. Do you agree? Uh, Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Facebook, WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. That's where you can tweet the show, write it on Facebook, write it on YouTube, which is also Worldwide Sports Network. It was last night the biggest win of Lamar Jackson's career. We'll get your thoughts here as the show does go on. But the Ravens, to me, weren't the only team with a big win yesterday. How about the Raiders? The Las Vegas Raiders coming off of beating the so uh, the aforementioned Baltimore Ravens on Monday night to get their season going off on a great start in a very wild, turbulent 
week one Monday night football game. Well, they back that up. They take that win over Baltimore, go to Pittsburgh, and they beat the Steelers 26-17. Now, don't look now. The Las Vegas Raiders, first place with, of course, the Denver Broncos at 2-0 in the AFC West, just like we all thought two games into the season. But I will say, now that the Raiders are 2-0, are they real? Are they legit? Because honestly, I don't know about you, for me, I'm not ready to go there yet. Watching this game, I thought we had one known and one unknown come out of this game. The unknown for me is if the Raiders are really legit, if this truly is the Raiders. Are they back, if you want to say? Are they playoff contenders? I'm still not 100% there yet. But the one known, I do think, coming out of this game, that we can say it's not about the Raiders. It's actually about the Steelers. That's how their offense isn't very good. We'll get into that in a little bit, but let's kind of the big story here from at least this game was the Raiders and was their win. Because again, they're now they're 2-0. They're 2-0 against the AFC North and 2-0 against two playoff teams from last year in the Ravens and the Steelers. And a big reason for this good start to the season, a big reason for this 2-0 start against both AFC North opponents that made the playoffs last year, was that Derek Carr has been playing some of the best football so far of his career. Yesterday alone, against a very tough Steelers defense that we saw what they did to Josh Allen in week one in Buffalo last week, right? They shut him down. They shut that Bills offense down, allowing just one offensive touchdown as the Steelers did pull off that week one upset on the road. One of the most improbable and shocking wins of the week one slate. Well, you look what Derek Carr did, and you look how Josh Allen struggled last week. Well, Derek Carr this week, man, he torched and lit up that Steelers defense. Threw for 382 yards, two touchdowns. And by the way, this was not only without Josh Jacobs, their best running back and their starting running back uh, off the field. This is basically without any sort of semblance of a running game. They basically just gave up running the ball in the second half going forward. They had Kenyon Drake. He didn't really get anything going on the ground. That Steelers front four did a good job of getting a push on the Raiders O-line. And there was no effort to even try to run the ball. So this is all on Derek Carr. The game was on him. It was on his right shoulder. And he was able to come up with some big throws, a huge back-breaking touchdown to Henry Ruggs to really put the game on ice uh, in the midway through the first uh, fourth quarter. And now you look, Derek Carr did so against a, a very pesky Ravens defense. That is hurt, I get it, but still played well. And now again against a very stingy Steelers defense that we know is going to be one of the best in the NFL. Well, Derek Carr now through two games has 817 passing yards and four touchdowns. An incredible, incredible start to the year. But here's why I'm not sold on the Raiders yet. Here's why I'm not kind of jumping off the deep end, buying in on the Raiders as a, as a playoff team and a legitimate contender. It's because, let's be honest, we've seen this before from the Raiders. We've seen this with a John Gruden coached team. They have gotten off two impressive starts. Let's go back to just 2020. They got off to a 2-0 start. They had an impressive Monday night victory over the Saints to kick off their uh, new stadium in, in, in Las Vegas. No fans there. But that was a very impressive win over a Saints team that we thought was going to be Super Bowl contenders. Coming off that shellacking of Tom Brady and the Buccaneers in Week 1 last year. So they started off 2-0. Had a big win over the Saints to get to 2-0 on Monday Night Football, which we all watched. And they started off 6-3 and three for the 2020 season before crumbling down the stretch and missing the playoffs. It's not the only year they did so. Even 2019. 
Six and four, which, okay, maybe he's not, you know, you want to say the hottest start through 10 games, if you will. But six and four in prime position to make the playoffs, they again crumbled and missed the playoffs. So here we go, three years in a row. The Raiders off to an impressive, strong start to the season. The last two times it happened did not equate to playoff success, did not equate to them making the playoffs. So I'm not ready to buy in yet because in part, I'm not sold that the Raiders can do this for 17 games. And I'm not sold that Derek Carr is truly as good as we've seen so far through the first two games. Because also, let's look. Because now, when you dissect the Raiders through the first two games, going back quickly to Monday night one last time, I don't know about you, that game felt kind of fluky. It was a win, and I'm not taking anything away. Derek Carr threw for over 400 yards. He played really well. But there was something about that win that did not still feel... Like, I still came out of feeling, the Raiders, they got the win, but man, this is... This is a team that's kind of tough to truly, you know, they kind of felt like they almost backed their way into a win. Because you get the ball in overtime, they drive right down the field. You look like, okay, here we go. Raiders going to punch this in. And at the one-yard line, run the ball four times, and you probably win the game and go crazy. Instead, false start. Alex Leatherwood backs him up. Derek Carr throws an interception in the end zone. And even after the, the defense makes a play, which credit to them, they get a fumble on Lamar Jackson. They recover it. They're in field goal range. They make the play in overtime to give the offense one last shot. Let's not forget, there was uncertainty of whether the Raiders were going to kick the field goal or not. That led to a delay of game. So no timeouts left. You back the field goal up. Instead, now they put the offense back on the field. Very next play, as we know, Derek Carr is a Jones for the game when he touched them. But there's still a lot of chaos, still a lot of disorganization that, yeah, they won the game, but how they did so did not feel legit. It didn't feel sustainable. Where it's like half of it was they won, the other half is that the Ravens just gave them the game. So that, to me, is still, I'm not sold that John Gruden has the organization of the head coach. It's still kind of can scheme up plays and scheme up this offense for another 15 games to keep this start going forward. And for Derek Carr, similarly, this is kind of who he is as a quarterback, right? He has some good highs. He can get to some you know high levels. He played really well in both games against the Chiefs last year. One in the win, one in the loss. He'll have these games. He'll throw for 350, 400 yards, three, four touchdowns, be the reason the Raiders win. But then also, he'll disappear for large parts of games against teams that they have no business disappearing against. It's been a roller coaster. You mentioned it after the game on Monday night. That game on Monday kind of embodied his career. Roller coaster. Highs, lows. Highs, lows. So now that he has a high, right? Two games in a row, again, he's combined for 817 passing yards, four touchdowns now so far through the first two games of the season. He's played really well, not taking anything away from how Derek Carr has played. The thing, though, is can he do it for the long haul? Can he do it for, let's say, 10 or 11 games? Not all 17, but can he do so for 10, 11 games to give the Raiders a legitimate chance here to win 10 or 11 games? I don't think so. I'm not believing in Derek Carr yet. I'm not believing in this roster yet because the biggest thing for them is consistency. Can they repeat their performance again and again and again? I'm not so far sold that they could be consistent and repeat this, even defensively. They played well so far through the first two games. I'm not sold the defense is as good as we've seen so far. So to me, there's still too many questions left unanswered through the first two games where I am not sold, I'm not bought in on the Raiders just yet. Great start. We've seen great starts before. I'm still picking them to miss the playoffs. I'm not on board the Raiders bandwagon just yet. So that to me is the biggest unknown coming out of this Steelers game is 
The Raiders, I don't think anyone can truly definitively say they are back, they are a playoff team, they are real. What we can say is real, what we can say will be a trend going forward through the rest of the season is the Steelers' offense. I've been saying it all offseason, and so far it's playing out this way. And I thought the last five, six weeks, really starting on that Thanksgiving game against the Ravens, I was pushed back a week where they, they, they won. The Steelers won, but the offense was really funky. The Ravens were decimated by COVID, and they still could not put points on the board. From that game forward, the offense with Big Ben really struggled to move the ball. There was no deep threat. They had really no uh, run game whatsoever. And basically, the ball was put on Big Ben's shoulders, and he could not get the, the offense going. He could not score a ton of points. And as we know, that 11-0 start from Pittsburgh ended in a first-round playoff loss at home to the Browns. And now, I thought coming into this 2021 season, a lot of what we saw in 2020 towards the tail end the last month, six weeks of the season offensively, was how the Steelers were going to be for most of the season. And so far, that's playing along. Because they really have no explosive offense. And Parker's a big Ben, but mostly also because of the offensive line. Like, I'll give Big Ben credit. He had a few nice deep throws that I honestly did not still think he had in him. One, he overshot to uh, Chase Claypool, that defensive back made a nice play, but I was like, oh my God. That was a nice deep ball by Ben Roethlisberger, something we don't really see too often. He had a nice completion to Deontay Johnson. He hit Chase Claypool later on with a big throw. But really, other than that, the deep throw doesn't happen often, doesn't really happen well. And that's tough for an offense because that means, for the most part, this is going to be a grinded out four, five yards per play, 10 plays, 11 plays, 75-yard drives. There's no explosion in the Steelers' offense whatsoever. A ton of underneath throws, a ton of checkdowns, a ton of behind-the-line throws, screens, and hope that receivers can break tackles and make something after the catch. But that's what this offense is going to be. It's going to be a lot of yards after the catch, a lot of pressure on these receivers to make a few guys miss. And I don't feel great and confident that the Steelers can score a lot of points and have a ton of offensive success if that's going to be their philosophy. It also doesn't help that there's really not a ton of creativity either offensively. So this offense, to me, is going to become, all season long, we'll see, stagnant, kind of boring, if you will, and not really give you a lot to write home about. And Ben's a part of it, right? His age, his I think, decreasing arm strength. But also a large part of it is their offensive line. It was poor and got worse out the season. It was really bad the last month or so of the year. And coming into this year, the faces were different. Four out of the five starters were new and not on the team last year. The only issue was they didn't really upgrade. So sure, the names on the back of the jerseys are different. It's not the same guys you saw last year. The only issue is the skill of the five guys on the offensive line has not changed. It's really not that good. And you see it already playing out. There is no running lanes for Najee Harris, no time for Big Ben to throw the ball. And this offense becomes so one-dimensional in part because all they can do is quick passes. Right, Najee Harris yesterday had a few nice runs, but 10 carries, 38 yards. That's it. 10 carries, 38 yards. So when you don't have a run game, you become one-dimensional. You become predictable. You know the defense knows what you're doing more times than not. And again, now it just makes life tougher for Ben Roethlisberger for the receivers to make plays because now not only do the defenses know you really can't throw the ball deep, there's no threat of the deep ball. Now the defenses know, all right, well, they really can't run the ball, so they're not going to even try to. Again, Najee Harris just 10 carries. It wasn't that the fact that they didn't have success running the ball. It was also the fact that they gave up running the ball pretty quickly. 
you know, and this is what kind of led to their downfall, defenses know what's coming. Even just look at the, the run-pass splits. 14 rush attempts for the Steelers yesterday, 40 pass attempts. Now, I know they were down for most of the game, but it was never out of reach. It was never out of... It was never a blow to the point you were throwing the ball and there was only one option. You could have still ran the ball for most of this game. And the Steelers chose not to because they couldn't because the offensive line, even with a, a Raiders front four that, again, has played a little bit better this year, but for the most part, you don't come in talking about the Raiders front four as being, you know, the Steelers front four that will get pressure, that will cut off the run, that will get after the quarterback. You should be able to move the Raiders front four and the Steelers offensive line could not. So again, that just makes the offense tougher, and I don't see that changing. The old line is not going to get any better. Big Ben's not going to get any younger. These receivers are okay. They're not terrible. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster is a pretty good wide receiver. Dante Johnson, when he's healthy and he's catching the ball, is a pretty good wide receiver. Chase Claypool's a physical beast. But again, when you, when you know what's coming, where it's just going to be underneath route, underneath route, wide receiver screen, and you're relying on broken tackles and maybe even two or three broken tackles to really spur a big play, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. So even now, the underneath passing game gets tougher because there's no deep threat and there's no run game. And I'll tell you this. I know the Steelers' defense is good, but they will not be outscoring any opponents this season. That defense has a bad game. It's over. Which now puts extra pressure on the other side of the ball to get things going. And now we'll see with T.J. Watt's groin injury. If he has to miss a few games, that could really hurt the pass rush and the defense for Pittsburgh. So... Look, the, the, for me, the Raiders coming to this game, I still have questions. I still have concerns. I'm not there yet with Las Vegas to buy in for a 2-0 start, buy in to a great Derek Carr 2021 uh, season so far. I'm not there yet. But where I am, where I do feel confident, is this Steelers O-line uh, and offense being brutal, being bad. I picked 8-9 for the Steelers before the season. And even though they got a nice win last week, did not jump off that because what happened with the offense last week? It was not about them. It was about the defense and special teams making plays. The offense was very pedestrian, and they followed that up last week with another pedestrian output this week. So I'm curious your thoughts. I'm not believing in the Raiders, but are you? Do you like what you see so far from Las Vegas? Have you seen enough in these two games to buy in on the Raiders on being a contender, being a playoff team? Worldwide Sports Network on Facebook is where you can comment. WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter. At Ryan Hickey Show. Tweet us there or write on the live stream that is on both of those current Twitter feeds. Or YouTube, Worldwide Sports Network. Are you believing in the Las Vegas Raiders? Are they a playoff team in your mind? We'll get your thoughts and when we return. Two quarterbacks had two big games yesterday. And to me, those two quarterbacks are both poised. For career seasons. One old, one young, two big years coming from two quarterbacks. We'll tell you who those two QBs are when the Ryan Key Show returns right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. So Fifteen minutes from now on the Worldwide Sports Red Network, specifically the Ryan Hickey Show right here. Two winners, two losers from college football. I, I'll drop one hint. I'm wearing a Penn State shirt. I'm sure if you saw anything from college football this weekend, you saw their big win over Auburn. 
the Nittany Lions, the Nits, will be a big winner. Who's the other big winner? I think it's a team that we got to be talking about a lot more starting soon, starting really in two weeks. I'll explain why that is. But before we get to college football, some winners and some losers here, I think yesterday we saw two incredible performances from two quarterbacks, one old and one young. I think it's safe to say so far from what we're seeing here, we are poised to see two career years from both of these quarterbacks. They happen to be Kyler Murray of the Cardinals and Tom Brady of the Buccaneers. Let's start. We'll go age before beauty. So let's start with Tom Brady, right? Because at age 44, I was feeling pretty good coming to this season that Tom Brady have a career year. If you look at it, right? I still can't believe this. And the numbers, you know, you, you read it, but it's almost like you do a double take. Because we saw Tom Brady struggle, play inconsistent football, never really looked comfortable in the Buccaneers offense last year until really after the bye, which came after the first 12 games of the season. So the final four games, he looked good. We weren't sure. Competition was a little weak. Then he goes to the playoffs, as we know, runs the, runs the gamut, runs the gauntlet, I should say, and then does win the Super Bowl. But now you come into year number two where he's fully comfortable in the offense, right? He's not trying to learn the playbook. He knows the playbook. He knows the terminology. He has continuity with, with his receivers. He has familiarity with his running backs and, and the play schemes and what is um, asked of him. He cleaned up an MCL, which he had a you know big knee injury for most of this year that no one knew about that really hindered his mobility and was an issue all season long. So you add all that up. I thought 2021 was going to be a huge, huge year for Tom Brady. And so far through two games, he is leaving no doubt about it. Five touchdowns, 276 passing yards against the bucket, uh, against the Falcons yesterday, excuse me, as they went 48-25 to go to 2-0 on the season. So now when you look, Tom Brady has 655 passing yards through two games and nine touchdowns. He's going to surpass his career high in both touchdown passes and passing yards. He's going to have a career year at age 44. Think about that. Because his career high in touchdown passes is 50. When he threw that back in 07 when the Patriots were perfect until the Super Bowl and the Giants spoiled that. His career high in passing yards, he's thrown for only 5,000 passing yards just one time in his career. 2011, 5,235 passing yards. So you look at 50 touchdowns for the most of his career, 5,200 passing yards, Tom Brady's going to break both of those. Now, part of that, I will say, slight asterisk, is that they do have an extra regular season game, right? 17 games compared to 16. But even if there was no extra game, I would feel confident in saying that because we've seen already the first two games. He's, he's playing some of the best football he's ever played. He knows where the ball is going. He's making all the right reads. He's finding Gronk like it's back in 2012 again. He's hitting all the receivers. Antonio Brown is looking like a different receiver this year compared to last year. It's absolutely insane to say it and think it. But watching Tom Brady this year at 44, it's like Benjamin Button. He's going, he's aging in reverse. He is poised to have, barring injury, the best year of his career. Which, again, he has seven Super Bowls. He's already the best quarterback in NFL history. And he's just going to keep on adding to it. It's impressive. It's crazy. That's all I could say about, about that. And Tom Brady. I think he's going to win the MVP this year at 44 and do so by setting career highs in touchdown passes, passing yards. He's already off to a great start. Nine touchdowns through two games, 655 passing yards. Carving up defenses left and right. Again, two, we'll say leaky defenses in the Falcons and the Cowboys, so it's not exactly some tough tests. 
But I don't see him slowing down that much. I don't. This is legitimate. This is real. And he's going to have a huge, huge season and year number two in Tampa Bay. I think Tom Brady set to have a career year. And so is Kyler Murray to me in Arizona. Big year three jump coming. They win a huge back and forth shootout 34-33 over the Vikings. They go to 2-0. In this game, Kyler Murray, some big time video game like numbers. Just seven incompletions, 29 to 36, 400 passing yards, and four total touchdowns. So we've kind of seen it last year with Josh Allen in year three of a big year, big breakout year. Seen other quarterbacks too in year number three kind of really get comfortable and kind of take their game to the next level. We will see that this year from Kyler Murray, right? There was a lot of hype last year. Remember, there was, I know Bucky Brooks was one and a few others predicting Kyler Murray with a huge year two jump that was going to lead to the MVP and a lot of. Um, fans and media were excited for Kyler Murray to have a massive year. It started off well, and as you know, the offense kind of dipped in the second half of the year, um, and they missed the playoffs, and there was no MVP for Kyler Murray. But you look so far. Year three is set to be the breakout year. I think we were a year too early last year in kind of trying to predict a breakout elevation from Kyler Murray. This is the year. 689 passing yards so far through two games, nine total touchdowns, and he's doing so at an insanely efficient clip. Now, it's two games. Again, it is just a very small sample size. But in these two games against the Titans defense and against the Vikings defense, he has completed 80.3% of his passes. Drew Brees can't even complete 80.3% of his passes, and he was a completion percentage king for his entire career. So Kyler Murray right now doing it all with his legs, with his arm. And even yesterday, too, you saw on display his ability, his athletic ability to get out of the pocket so quickly, keep plays alive with his legs, throw the ball on the run. His touchdown pass to Rondell Moore where he rolls out to his left, throws across his body on the run 40 yards to get it to Moore, and he takes it the rest of the way as he's uncovered for a touchdown. It's incredible. It's unreal. It's so much fun to watch. So him scooting around the, the, you know, the field, not getting hit either, making the, the right throw, making the accurate throw, doing so with his arm and not relying on his legs as much as he did the first two years. So far, so good for Kyler Murray. And I'll be honest, the only thing that kind of concerns me that we won't get a career year from Kyler Murray has nothing to do with him or his athletic ability or his skill. It's about Cliff Kingsbury. Can he continue to ride this wave? Can he make adjustments or will he hold his team back? We saw last year, they got off to a 6-3 and three start. They had that incredible win, I believe it was on Sunday Night Football, over the Seahawks, that back-and-forth game in overtime that eventually Arizona did win. They had the number one offense halfway through the year. They were humming. Kyler Murray was playing really good football, and it really kind of tailed off the second half of the year. Now, part of that was injuries. Kyler Murray had a bum shoulder, got a little banged up, couldn't finish even the season finale against the Rams which both backup quarterbacks for Arizona and L.A. were playing. Rams, as we know, did win that game, did get in the playoffs, and the Cardinals missed it. But that is my only concern is Cliff Kingsbury. He notoriously, whether it's with the Cardinals or going back to his college days at Texas Tech, has routinely kind of fallen flat on his face in the second half of the year. Whether it's lack of adjustments, whether it's teams figuring him out too early, whether it's him just, for whatever reason, just kind of game planning early and, and the creativity falling off the tail end of the year. He has consistently kind of really had his teams go off a cliff second half of the year. No pun intended. I really hope this is the year he can kind of get things going because if so, 
If you can just stay out of the way, forget just be the reason that Kyler Murray takes the next step. Just stay out of the way. Let Kyler do his thing. Give him a chance to succeed. We will see a career year from Kyler Murray. We all thought the big leap was going to be in year number two. We were just a year early, but we are seeing it early on so far in year number three for Murray. Cardinals 2-0, he is playing some great, great football. So I'm curious your thoughts. Tom Brady at age 44, Kyler Murray in year three. Are we seeing career years from these quarterbacks? Is this kind of the time for both of them to take that huge, huge step? Brady's we know has already done so, but to have the best year of his career at 44 is unheard of, literally unheard of. He already made history last week by becoming the oldest quarterback in NFL history to win a game. And now he could be easily the oldest player in NFL history to win the MVP and have their best year of their career. And for Kyler Murray in year three, I think the breakout is coming. Just Cliff Kingsbury, please, I beg you, stay out of the way. Stay out of the way. So I'm curious your thoughts. Worldwide Sports on Eric on Facebook, WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Career years for Tom Brady and Kyler Murray. Are you in? In or out on that? And get your thoughts. I mean, we'll squeeze in some college football when we do return here on the Ryan Hickey Show for hour number two. Because we had some winners and we had some losers. And we're not just talking about, oh, that's a nice win or, or you know, that's a, that's a terrible loss. We're talking about college football playoff here. Whose stock is rising for the playoff? Whose stock is falling? Two teams that whose, right now, their stock is climbing. Two, man, including one. One team that really we did not see this coming. I'll tell you who that team is when the Ryan Hickey Show does return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Ah, the greatest theme song in all of sports. The SEC on CBS theme. We finally got it. Three weeks into the college football season, we finally got a little SEC on CBS. Alabama, Florida, which look, I will, if you listen to Hickey's Pickers on Thursday, I'll give Florida a lot of credit. Spread was 15 and a half. I did not think it would be that close at all. I thought this game would be over in the first quarter. Bama did win. You win by two. Props to Florida. Coming back from an early deficit, they fight back. They give the Crimson Tide all they can handle. So that was a nice little intro to the SEC on CBS this past week. And so we will do some winners and losers here from college football in a second. As a reminder, though, we are coming to you uh, live in the 10 o'clock hour, which is sponsored by the great LC Designs. Charcuterie boards, guess what? They're perfect for all occasions. So make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing that's right both good to eat and good to look at and they are made by the lc designs queen herself lauren clark so make sure you check out lcdesignsnyc.com for more info there so we were winners by just listening to the sec on cbs and having that return which is always a classic staple of the fall but there's also i thought two big winners coming out of the college football weekend and two big losers when you're looking at college football playoff implications. We will start with a team I know that is near and dear to my heart. I will start with a game that I was in attendance for in person. The whiteout, Penn State versus Auburn. I'll say this for any college football fan out there. The whiteout is a 100% bucket list item for you to go at. It is incredible. The atmosphere is so much different. It's already fun 
loud, raucous atmosphere for any game, anything that comes down. It's a great game day atmosphere. Penn State, one of the best game day atmospheres uh, in college football. No, no bias there. I think a lot of people would agree with that. But the whiteout, it hits different. You see it, first of all, just see it with the eyes. Everyone wearing white is so cool. It is so much louder. The chants are, are that much more passionate. And Penn State, I thought, played really, really, really well in the whiteout. And the, the thing that, to me, for me, the, the big reason, or the, I should say the big winner going forward for the cultural play from vacations, it's not that they just won a game, right? Because, look, obviously you beat number 22 Auburn at home. It's a nice win. You should win. You're favored. They did win. But for me, the reason why it's such a big win for them going forward here is because of how they won. And that was because Sean Clifford played really well. I'll be honest. Look, I'm a Penn State fan. I'm an alum there. But also, I'll tell you how it is. I'm not going to try to just blow smoke up your you-know-what if Penn State stinks and try to tell you that they're good. I did not really know what to expect coming in uh, from Penn State this year. They had a really good 2019 when Shaw Clifford was their quarterback. They went to the Cotton Bowl and won it, 11-2. They had a really awful 2020, uh, 2020 season where Sean Clifford regressed. He looked like he didn't know, you know, didn't know how to read a defense. They were 4-5. and five. They started off 0-5. Um, Clifford could not you know, take care of the football. A lot of turnovers. Was not really playing well at all. So I didn't know coming into now this 2020 season – what kind of Shark Clifford you would get, how good he could truly be, to be honest. And so far, he has played really, really well. And that's why I'm feeling good about Penn State going forward here to contend for the Big Ten title is because his accuracy has gotten a lot better. His decision-making has gotten a lot better. And we saw that in a big game in a big atmosphere on Saturday. I'll be honest, right? I said the whiteout is one of the best and most amazing atmospheres in college football. I've seen a ton. Unfortunately, I've also seen the whiteout almost work against Penn State in some times where the, where the players come up too amped, trying to make too many big plays, and that kind of leads to their downfall where the offense doesn't struggle, the defense allows big plays because you're almost trying too hard, and the energy almost kind of overcomes you. And I will be honest, going into Saturday night's game, I really thought the, the atmosphere was going to be rowdy. Like, I, like The whiteout is fun in itself because we didn't have one last year because of the opponent. I really thought this year was going to be even one of the louder uh, whiteout crowds that I've ever seen. I think that came to fruition. But I was a little nervous because, all right, Sean Cliff, maybe he'll come out a little too jittery. Inaccuracy, you know, inaccuracy could be a big problem. Maybe he's trying to make the big play, fit the ball into a tight window, and that causes an interception, holds on to the ball too late, fumble, bad things can happen. He was the opposite. He was the reason why Penn State won that game, which has me as a Penn State fan, and I think as a, as a person who looks at Penn State now in the eyes of the cultural playoff, I think puts him in a really good spot. Because he completed 28 out of 32 passes, which is a career-high completion percentage for him. 280 passing yards. You ready for this? Did not have an incompletion in the second half. This was a close game the entire way. It wasn't a blowout. It was a close one-score game for almost the duration of the entire game. And came out in the second half, in a big second half, and did not have an incompletion. So it's for me, they are a legitimate Big Ten title contender, which puts them right in the conversation for the cultural playoff. Because Sean Clifford in year three and year number one in Mike Yurcich's offense has really stepped up and played really good football. Because we said, even 2019, this team had a ceiling on them in part because Sean Clifford was still very inconsistent. They start off 8-0. They lose to Minnesota. They still had a chance to kind of get back on the playoff if they beat Ohio State. They did not. And a lot of it was because there was inconsistency with Sean Clifford throwing the ball. It was really, they relied on the run game a ton. 2020, as we just mentioned, was a total disaster. So coming to 2021, Penn State is a really deep running back room. 
They have an offensive line that should have gotten better from last year. So you, I really kind of came in expecting the run game to lead the way. And they struggled against Wisconsin running the ball in game number one. They struggled running the ball against Auburn here in game number three. And Sean Clifford stepped up big time in the second half against Wisconsin, which, sure, it was an ugly first half for the Penn State offense for sure. But even though in, the, in, in that game when they had just 50 rushing yards, 50 as a team in that first game, Sean Clifford was, out, was able to make enough plays with his arm to get Penn State 16 points and get out of there with a win. They ran for just 83 yards against Auburn on Saturday. And again, Penn State was able to win the game in part because of Sean Clifford's arm. And now you look, too. Four touchdown passes, one interception through the first three games. Not flashy, not sexy, not some of the best numbers you'll see in college football. But that one interception is huge because, again, it was a turnover machine last year. This year so far, taking care of the ball, putting it, you know, making accurate throws, making good decisions. He's not running as much, which I think is huge for Penn State. Sometimes, especially in 2018, he would have one guy, one read, lock, and he's out there. Boom, I'm going to take it off my legs. He's not the fastest guy in the world. He's not Lamar Jackson. Serviceable. I think he's a little bit more athletic than you think, but sometimes there was an over-reliance on his legs, which led to him getting run down and injured in 2019, didn't finish the uh, the year. And 2020, again, to have really limited the ceiling for this team because the offense and the passing game was just really not that great. Just six rushing attempts against Wisconsin in week one, just six rushing attempts uh, on Saturday against Auburn. He's doing it with his arm. He's being patient. He's going to his second and third reads. Great, great start for Sean Clifford. This defense is really solid. They can get after the quarterback. They have a very experienced secondary. You saw, you know, Tank Pigsby had a good game on the ground. Gashes Penn State defense uh, consistently. But Bo Nick struggled. The secondary really did not allow many big plays. This going forward here, I think it's going to be a really good defense. This is going to be a very well-balanced and talented Penn State team. Now, they still have a long way to go. They go to Iowa in a few weeks. They play at Ohio State in a month from now. There's still a long way to go. But so far, they're battle-tested halfway through the four tough games that they have, winning at Wisconsin, winning at home versus Auburn. So far, so good. They showed they can hang with any team on their schedule. They can beat any team on their schedule. Now it's just consistently, can Sean Clifford continue to play the way he has? So far, so good. And if he could continue this, if he could keep up this play, how he played in the second half against Wisconsin, how he played the full game against Auburn, this is a legitimate Big Ten title contender. This is a legitimate college football playoff team. Penn State. Big winner from Saturday. Another big winner in terms of the college football playoff and making a run to be one of the final four teams. A team that no one really talked about early on, so we're going to get out ahead of it. Now is your chance to jump on the bandwagon if you're unaware right now. Cincinnati, the Bearcats, I'm telling you, this is a team that has it all to be able to capitalize on Clemson's early struggles, Ohio State's early struggles, and parlay that into a position to make the college football playoff. I understand no group of five team has ever made the playoff in the college football playoff era. But Cincinnati this year, and coming off last Saturday, they have the three prerequisites needed for a group of five team to make the playoffs. Right? They have a great team. They have the national respect already. And they have a great schedule that allows them the opportunities to get some big wins. Now, we know how good the Cincinnati team is. We saw them last year. Desmond Ritter is a really good quarterback. Averaged 451 yards per game. The Cincinnati offense did 37.5 points per game last year. He's back for the five uh, top receivers from last year back. The defense is nasty. Luke Fickle has really engineered the defense in his mind. They are aggressive. They are ferocious. They get after the quarterback. They don't allow a ton of points. 
Luke Fickle, tremendous head coach, as just kind of mentioned him with the defense there. They have the team, this talent, the skill, the coaching. Not just to be a good group of five team, to be a good college football team in period, you know, in general, period. They have what it takes from a talent perspective to be one of the four remaining teams in the playoff. They have, just as importantly as talent, the national respect already. Coming into this season, the AP preseason poll had them at number eight. They were a top 10 team, which is the highest group of five rating of any team in the college football playoff era. So they already kind of had one leg up on UCF when they tried to make a run to the college football playoff in 2017 and were denied, but they, you know, trying to kind of crown themselves champs anyway. They have the national respect already from the media that knows, hey, Cincinnati's a really good team. You need people buying in early to your team to have a chance to make the playoff. So already being a top 10 team, they sit there on the top 10 as you sit here on September 20th already. They have the national respect it takes and is needed to be in the conversation for the playoff and eventually parlay that and making your run to being one of the final four teams. And most importantly, but you need, obviously, you need talent. You need national respect. You also need games to prove yourself. You need a good schedule. And to me, that's what Cincinnati has. And that's what's prevented other group of five teams in the past from making a run to the playoff. That's what's prevented UF, uh, UCF when they were 12-0 or 13-0 from making the playoff. Their schedule just wasn't hard enough. They didn't have the respect. This year... To me, that changes because you have, they just played an Indiana team. They won by two touchdowns. Now, like, I get Indiana, they got mollywalked by Iowa to start the year. They came in preseason ranked in the top 20. They've fallen off that. They're one and two. I get Indiana's not exactly a win where Cincinnati's going to raise a banner, where the AP poll voters or eventually when the cultural playoff poll does come out, I get people are not going to circle that Indiana win on the road and be like, wow, that's college football playoff worthy right there. But it's a power five team. On the road, and they won by two touchdowns. They handled the Hoosiers for the most part. To me, that's a win where, you know what? You put that on your schedule. Power 5 win. Dominant. Power 5 win. So you get Iowa. Uh, I'm sorry. You get Indiana. You beat, the, you beat them in your, uh, on your schedule on the road. Two weeks from now, this is the big one. Two weeks from now, they play on the road at Notre Dame. Now look, the Bearcats desperately, desperately need Notre Dame to not pull an Indiana. In, uh, Notre Dame is playing Wisconsin this week. They need the Irish in the worst way possible to get a win to take down Wisconsin, to give them a shot to get a, have an impressive win. So you go on the road at Notre Dame in two weeks. You need the Irish to win this week. If that's the case, Notre Dame will go back into the top 10, and you'll have a top 10 matchup, Cincinnati at Notre Dame. That is a win. That is a win everyone will be watching, and that's when that will impress voters when it comes to putting the final four teams in the college football playoff. Now, it took a hit because UCF, really the, the one team that in conference could have given them a nice little boost in the rankings, they did lose to Louisville on Friday. So that was a team that was just on the outside of the top 25 that you meet Louisville, you win your next game, they probably would have been in the top 25 and given, you, uh, given Cincinnati another top 25 opponent. But you beat a Power 5 team in Indiana. You could play, and you should beat, if you can, a top 10 Notre Dame team. You play UCF, you handle your business there, you win the AC, you're 13-0. You have two Power 5 victories. You have at least one, see the schedule breaks down, maybe others, top 10 victories, at least top 25 victories. I do think now when you look at Clemson struggling, and even, you know, we'll get to them in a second here, but you look at their resume, you look at Ohio State struggling so far, Cincinnati's going to have a very strong resume. They're going to be in the conversation 
for the college role playoff and anything, they have what it takes to be the first pow- uh, group of five team to make the playoff. So for me, they were a huge winner. The first test, the first opportunity for them to make a run to the college role playoff, taking care of Indiana on the road, boom, check. Next test will be in two weeks, but so far, like they're moving on up. They're taking care of business, and they are, are making a legitimate play here to, to be a college football playoff team. So if they're not on your radar, Cincinnati's a team that, oh, okay, it's nice, top 10, but you're not taking them seriously in terms of the college football playoff, I would start taking them seriously right now. This is a team that's going to be in the conversation here in October and November and early December. you got to win the games on your schedule. But I think they're good enough to beat Notre Dame. They're good enough to beat anyone on their AAC schedule. They should be 13-0. and you're 13-0 with a road win over a possible top 10 Notre Dame team. Maybe you get one or two others squeezing the top 25. Road win over Indiana. It's strong enough. I'm telling you, it's going to be strong enough to make a final four run. Big winner for the Bearcats there, uh, along with Penn State, in terms of the cultural playoff uh, rankings. Losers. Now, two big losers coming out of this weekend as well in terms of playoff implications. We'll start with the Pac-12, because they're the only conference I have on here that was a loser. Because unfortunately for them, just when we start talking good about the Pac-12, just when we start feeling positive about the Pac-12, disaster happens. And that came in the form of Hollywood, where Fresno State took down number 13 UCLA, 40-37. to Now, Jake Hayner, Fresno State quarterback, give him a lot of credit. If you haven't seen any highlights, watch two or three minutes of highlights for him. Because this guy was dealing with a hip injury, could barely stand, could barely walk, Led Fresno State with a gutty, gutty game. Eventually did throw the game-winning touchdown pass. Um, not once, but twice. He gave Fresno State a late lead. Took down the Bruins. Big upset. Not to brag, but you look at Hickey's Pickies. Upset special. Fresno State took him 11 and a half. Big two points for Hickey's Pickies there uh, on Saturday with the upset special hitting. So thank you, Fresno State, for the Bulldogs. Thank you. Big win. But in terms of now college football playoff, not that many teams had UCLA circled or that was a dark horse. But now for the Pac-12, again, their eggs are in just one basket. You look at the SEC, they have Alabama, they have Georgia. The Big Ten is Ohio State, I would say Penn State and Iowa. Big 12, really right now, Oklahoma, maybe uh, if Iowa State can rebound, but mostly just for the Sooners. The Pac-12 now just has Oregon. That's it. Which, again, it kind of hurts your conference, when now you're just relying on one team in Oregon, has a very tricky schedule. You have Washington on the road. You have UCLA coming up here in a few weeks on the road. You have Utah on the road. There is some big-time trap games here for Oregon going forward. And UCLA could have helped boost and bolstered Oregon's uh, resume with a big win if it was. And who knows? They keep climbing. They keep winning. Maybe that's a top-10 UCLA team. We're talking about when they play in just about a month or so from now. Instead, that's not the case. Bruins lose to Fresno State. That fun start they had to start the year. It's taken a little bit of a speed bump so far. Uh, but not only that, you had Arizona State, number 19 in the country. They lose to BYU, who's 23rd. Just again, tough, tough break for the conference here. They go one week for us feeling good about them. And then it takes you know another week where some big teams, some important teams, Lose some important games. So to me, the Pac-12 is a loser for the cultural playoff. It's Oregon or bust now at this point for them in terms of getting a, a, play, a team in the playoff for just the third time in the cultural playoff era. And another team. We said it, well, I guess I didn't say it on this show. I hosted on CBS Sports Radio on Labor Day evening after the first weekend of college football saying Clemson's cultural playoff hopes are done. 
and they take another big hit. They are, to me, another loser from Saturday. They won the game, right? Like that's the thing. They won the game. They beat Georgia Tech. The way they did so, though, I'm telling you, just continues to hurt them. They beat Georgia Tech. Big, bad Georgia Tech. 14-8. At home, by the way. And not only did they just beat them, they needed a goal line stand with just under two minutes left to hold on for the victory. Georgia, Georgia Tech was driving for the win before eventually the Tigers defense did hold, get did get a huge stop here and preserve the win. But just 14-8, DJ Uwe Ungale, uh threw for just 126 yards. So for a guy that came in when Trevor Lawrence had COVID last year, he played really well against Boston College. The, the stats look good. He, he engineered a second-half comeback where BC was up at halftime. Engineer second half comeback, played really well at Notre Dame the following week. Notre Dame did win in double overtime, but DJ Uwe Ungalai threw for over 400 yards, played well in Trevor Lawrence's absence, did all he could do. And coming into this year, thought we really were going to get a big jump, a big explosion from him in his first year of starting, and he just continues to be a work in progress. Now, he's still young. Again, it's a redshirt freshman. Still trying to work the Kings out here as a full-time starter. Again, it was a small mop-up duty when he came in for Trevor Lawrence last year for two games. But the offense, look, you play in Georgia, I get it. That's, that's a really tough task. That's a really tough ask to start your season with an insanely good Georgia defense. That's you can argue maybe the best in the country. That's how talented, that's how deep they are. So you lose 10-3, okay. I'm not going to take a ton out of that. But now 14-8 against Georgia Tech two weeks later. Does that mean concerned? And the AP uh, poll voters are concerned as well. Because now Clemson dropped all the way to number nine. So not only do they continue to drop and play sloppy football, if they wanted to make a run of the playoff again back involved in the mix, they not only needed to win the rest of their games, and so far they're still on schedule to do that, they also needed the conference to help them out. They needed to have a ranked opponent or two on their schedule before the season ends. Now, they don't play Miami. They don't play North Carolina. They don't play Virginia Tech in their regular season. They're going to need one of those three teams to still be ranked to play them in the ACC title game. You have Virginia Tech losing on the road to WVU this past weekend. You have Miami losing at home to Michigan State. So now, again, the ACC continues to get weaker and weaker and weaker and hurt the resume for Clemson. So their strength of schedule continues to crumble. Which, again, goes back to an earlier point. You look at Cincinnati, opens the door for a team like Cincinnati who has the possibility, if Notre Dame can come through, to have a big top 10 victory on their resume. Maybe one or two other AAC wins that are in the top 25. That will be a stronger resume than Clemson. Clemson's going to need a lot of help now going forward to climb back up in the rankings and try to get a a resume that is respectable because right now it is absolutely not. Clemson, big loser, even though they won. How they played, the ACC losing a few other big games that they, they needed to help their strength of schedule. Big, big weekend of losing for Clemson. So we have big winners. Two big winners when it comes to the college football playoff implications. Penn State, Cincinnati. Two big losers, Pac-12, Clemson. I'm curious your thoughts. Coming off the weekend. College football playoff implications. Who was the big winner? Who was the big loser? We'll get your thoughts, whether it's on Facebook at Worldwide Sports Network, whether it's on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, or at Ryan Hickey Show. And we'll get your thoughts on YouTube, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. We will collect your thoughts. We'll get the biggest winners. We'll get the biggest losers from college football. And when we do return, quick hits time in the NFL. 
Jets fans, I have some positivity for you here coming off that Zach Wilson four interception game. As a Colts fan myself, well, us Colts fans, we got the full Carson Wentz experience in just one game. We'll do all that in quick hits when the Ryan Key Show does return on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Quick hits time, right? We bounce around all the NFL, tried in a few storylines we didn't have time to hit on earlier in the show. Let's get right into it here. Justin Fields, we're going to call this. He finally made his real debut. I know he played a few plays here and there against the Rams in week one. A few special packages. But really now, he got his first sustained look as a quarterback for a full half, right? After Andy Dalton got hurt. Goes 6-13 for 60 yards, does throw an interception, leads the Bears to two field goal drives. They do beat the Bengals and get the win. But I will say, coming out of my biggest takeaway, coming out of this game and Justin Fields making his debut is this. This is the exact reason why you cannot have a coach on the hot seat drafting a young rookie quarterback. Because I think we saw kind of the good and the bad from Justin Fields, right? At times he looked jittery. There's a few false starts on him specifically, which you never see from the quarterback. He was kind of anxious for the snap, trying to get things late. He was late setting up and maybe calling audibles or setting up protection. He's trying to get the snap early, moving too much flags. So there was some bad there with Justin Fields, held the ball for too long, was fumbled. But also you saw some flashes. He made some good, strong throws, hung in there at times, made some accurate throws, had some good third-down conversions. The thing is, it's going to be, you know, with rookie quarterbacks, it's going to be a roller coaster, right? It's not all going to be good. It's not all going to be bad. Not everyone's going to be like Patrick Holmes coming in in his first time playing and throwing 50 touchdown passes. It's not going to happen. You're going to have good. You're going to have some bad. You want to kind of use that rookie season as a way to get the kinks out, right? Kind of knock, I don't say rust off, but kind of get the quarterback used to the NFL game and have him kind of work out a lot of the issues. So that way, by year number two, you're kind of ready and you hope that maybe he can be good enough to kind of put you in position for a playoff berth. The thing is, and the problem is, Matt Nagy doesn't have the patience or the time to kind of go through those ups and downs with Justin Fields. He needs to win. He needs to win right now. There's no playoff mandate from the Bears. They made the playoffs last year despite going 8-8. Eight and eight. So we really don't know what it's going to take for Matt Nagy either to return in 2022 or be fired after this season. But Matt Nagy is going into this season with a strong urgency to win, which is why I think he wants to keep Justin Fields on the bench now and play Andy Dalton as long as possible. I also think he's in part trying to hold off Justin Fields for as long as possible to sell hope that when Andy Dalton inevitably does start to struggle, he could bring in Justin Fields in, I don't know, week three, week four, or, or later, I should say, week 10, week, week 11, and then try to have just a smidge and some you know flashes from Fields, but then kind of really sell hope that, hey, look what he did in the short span. Wait till we get him for a full offseason. Next year, we'll, we'll be able to take this offense to the next level. The key wanted to hold off Fields for as long as possible to sell hope to the fans and to the ownership that 2022 is going to be our year. Make sure I'm here as his coach because I can get the most out of him. So that's the issue. He needs to develop. He needs to play in games like he did yesterday to understand, this, to understand the speed of the NFL. Understand going through your second and third reads. There were plenty of time times yesterday where Justin Fields, you look, he had one read and run the ball. Tuck and run. Which, you know what? He's athletic. 
He made plays. But the thing is, though, that you don't want your quarterback doing that, that often. You want him to go through second and third progressions. That's how offenses develop. That's how offenses get dangerous. When you make your, you know, your read to your third guy that's open instead of tucking it and running after your primary receiver is not there. So that's why it's very vital and important for Justin Fields to get time to develop, get time to play. And instead, he's not getting that because Matt Nagy needs to win and win right now. So I think yesterday just kind of highlighted the frustration that the Bears are kind of in right now because they're almost in the middle of no man's land. They have a head coach that's worried about winning and, and trying to save his job. You have a team that is better off with Justin Fields playing. But the thing is, you got to play to kind of work some of the rust off. So you're going to have some bumps. You're going to have some down moments there where he looks like a rookie. you got to ride those out. And that, to me, just kind of really kind of encapsulates the frustration because the future is Justin Fields. He is your guy that gives you the best chance to win. you got to get kind of him out on the field now to work out those kinks. So your two, your three is ready to play. It's out of kind of hiding him, if you will, trying to save Matt Nagy's job and have him string out another year or two on the contract. That was my big takeaway from Justin Fields' development. A lot of good, a lot of bad. He needs to play. We should not see Andy Dalton again on this field until, well, really ever, or garbage time for the Bears going forward. Hopefully he's okay. We don't know the severity yet of the knee injury. We'll get an update here if there is one before we get out. But that was my big takeaway. Justin Fields needs time to develop. Needs time to play. The only way you do that in the game. Speaking of rookie quarterback, Zach Wilson made his home debut for the Jets. And it did not take long for the New York Jets fans to greet Zach Wilson. A lot of hype, a lot of excitement with the number two overall QB. And he throws four interceptions against the Patriots. It all came within the first 10 pass attempts of the game against New England. But I will say this. Jets fans, I... Yeah, a lot of you do not like me. I said it was a mistake in drafting Zach Wilson. They should not have drafted a quarterback. The Jets are awful on most of this team. I thought they should have bolstered it either by trading back or getting some offensive line help, getting some defensive help, getting some real talent on this team first, then bring the quarterback in. Don't bring the quarterback in and then you know try to scramble to get help around him later throughout his career. But I will say this. For the Jets fans freaking out today, booing Zach Wilson after he throws four picks, there was some positive strides, I thought, from Zach Wilson, again, I know it's tough to say when he throws four picks, but here's what I'll say. His interceptions, all four of them, were a product of over-aggressiveness. He was trying to push the envelope. He was trying to make throws down the field. He was trying to fit balls into tight windows. He was trying to make big, chunk-winning plays. I'd rather have a quarterback, personally, that's not afraid of making mistakes, that is aggressive, that is confident they can make the throw, and have a result in an interception, Rather than have your quarterback be scared to make the big throw, be captain check down, be a guy that always takes a safe throw and it's always seven or eight yards at a time instead of going for the big 30, 40, 50 yard shot. Because look, I get there's, there's a fine line between over aggressiveness, not being you know, afraid to make a throw and being reckless of the football and turning to Jameis Winston where he throw 30 interceptions in, uh, in one year. I get it. There's a, there's a fine line there. But I do like that the fact that Zach Wilson, through two games so far, is being aggressive, is not afraid to take chances. Because you know what it is? It's a lot easier to coach the mistakes out of him, to coach him to tone it down a little bit than the other way. Then coach him to be more aggressive. Coach him to take more chances. We've seen with Alex Smith. We've seen with Jimmy Garoppolo. Two guys that are solid quarterbacks. But there's a reason why they kind of never been able to elevate their team into Super Bowl champions in part because they have played safe for most of their career. They're not really ones to push the ball down the field 
and take a lot of chances and make a lot of big plays, it's a lot of checkouts. It's a lot of smart underneath throws. You can't coach Alex Smith, no offense to him, to be more aggressive, to really try to be, you know, taking deep shot after deep shot after deep shot. You can coach, though, Zach Wilson to tone it down. We heard Robert Sala after the game say, hey, sometimes boring is good. And he's right. Sometimes a seven-yard check down when the defense, that's all it's giving you, that's the right play to do. I'm not telling you keep on trying to throw in a double and triple coverage or throw in the ball, you know, deep all the time. It was a balance. And there is a very fine line we mentioned of being over-aggressive and being reckless with the football. But so far, I like that Zach Wilson, early on through his year, he'll find this out throughout his rookie year, he's not afraid to take chances. He's not afraid to push the ball down the field, trust his arm, trust his reads, and try to make a big play. You can coach that and coach it down to tone, it, to tone him down a little bit. You can't really coach him to be more aggressive without his career. So that's what I will say for Zach Wilson and some Jets fans that are a little anxious or upset after week one. I get it. He throws four picks. This is gonna be, that's what it's going to be this year. The offensive line stinks. The receivers, to me, leave a lot to be desired. There's not much talent there at the, run, uh, at the running back position. There's not a lot of talent surrounding Zach Wilson. You've got to take that more with a grain of salt and kind of fact that into your evaluation where he's going to have to do more in part because there's not a lot of players that can pick him up. But I will say, I like a quarterback, especially early on, to be more aggressive than, say, be conservative. So Jets fans, look at it that way. It's easier to coach a player down than it is to coach him to be more aggressive. So maybe... So take a deep breath. It's only game number two. It's a long way to go in the season. It's a long way to go in Zach Wilson's career. Let's not jump off you know, the cliff just yet of Zach Wilson being a bust. Um, speaking of getting a, a full experience here, as a Colts fan myself, we saw in one game yesterday, Carson Wentz's career encapsulated in the Rams game. We saw basically the entirety of his career, the good, the bad, the injuries, in just one game, summed up in one game. Because there were some good. The Colts lost to the Rams, but there was still some good there. Carson Wentz made a few great throws. The few times he pulled out Houdini tricks to avoid getting sacked, to be able to throw incompletions, keep the drive alive, make a few plays. He was able to show the athletic ability, his scramble ability that he became you know, well-known for early on in his career, made some good throws, looked good at some points. There was some bad as well. He had a bad interception near the goal line, a shovel pass that was picked off right by the goal line as the Colts were trying to plunge away in the end zone. They had red zone struggles all game long. They were just one out of four in the red zone. So they were able to get the ball down there a few times, and they benefited a few times from some Rams' mistakes, but they were not able to capitalize that, turn that into points, turn that into touchdowns. That was part of the reason why they did end up losing and falling down to 0-2. So there was some good, there was some bad, and of course it wouldn't be the full Carson Wentz experience without an injury. Tied up 24-24 on the play, actually, on the last play where Carson Wentz was trying to scramble out and avoid getting sacked right before the Colts kicked the tying field goal. He gets tackled, injured his right angle, uh, his right ankle, I should say, later in the fourth quarter. And after the Rams go right down the field to take the lead, Carson Wentz, that ankle swelled up, stiffened up really quickly, and was unable to come back in the game. Frank Reich said there's basically no chance he's going to come back as soon as the injury happened. And that meant Jacob Eason. Eason's season was a short one. Second play on the drive, boom, interception. That is all she wrote for the Colts as they do lose this game. But Carson Wentz, of course, it wouldn't be the full roller coaster. It wouldn't be the full Carson Wentz experience without some sort of injury. Kind of derail the, uh, derail the game and hang a cloud over the Colts now. This is going to be a very interesting week. No updates so far 
I believe uh, it was Carson Wentz after the game, so he doesn't believe the ankle is broken, which is good. But the fact that it's even a possibility means this is a very serious ankle injury. The Colts have a massive game this week, a huge divisional game against the Titans. Titans just won. We'll get to them in a second here. But for the Colts, for me, I still am feeling good the Colts can win the division. But in part of that, they need Carson Wentz to be healthy, be on the field. But yesterday's game was the full Carson Wentz career summed up, encapsulated in one game. Good, bad injuries. That's how Carson Wentz has been since he's gotten the league in 2016. That's what we saw on Sunday against LA. And finally, I will give credit here to two teams that I didn't really think had it in them to get huge road wins on Sunday. The Cowboys and the Titans. Now, they started off dropping some brutal uh, games to start. The, the Titans were blown out by the Cardinals in Week 1. Cowboys lost a backbreaker to the Buccaneers where they had the win, and Tom Brady did what Tom Brady does. But I really thought now, after those tough games for, for both teams, starting off Week number 1, with really tough road games, Tennessee at Seattle, Dallas at the Chargers, both penciled them in for 0-2. And, and it said they flipped that, both won, both now 1-1 one one with impressive victories yesterday. Now for the Cowboys, look, it wasn't pretty, but it didn't have to be. Right, jumped out to a 14-3 lead, played well early on. Chargers allowed back into the game. Dak wasn't spectacular, but you know what? The running game stepped up big. He made some good throws towards the end to get them in field goal range to eventually win the game. And Tony Pollard running well, 109 yards on the ground. Zeke chipped in with 71. The running game ran for almost 200 yards. Good to see Zach Martin back in the lineup. You kind of saw his impact right away. He's mauling guys, getting good push off the line of scrimmage. And Greg Zerline. Going from the GOAT last week, right, where he missed a few field goals, missed an extra point, those points came back to hurt the Cowboys late in the game. He drills a 56-yard field goal and not only wins the game, kind of bails out Mike McCarthy and his awful clock manager. And there, the, the Cowboys basically run one play. There's 20-something seconds left. And instead, the Cowboys just settle for the field goal, run the clock down, take a timeout, and are content with attempting a 56-yard field goal. I know they call him Greg the Lake for a reason. But geez, I mean, coming off back surgery after an inconsistent week number one, you can't tell me Mike McCarthy was like, oh, yeah, 56 yards, we're good, we don't need any more. Greg got this, go out there and run it out. It's not Justin Tucker, Mr. Automatic, kicking for the Cowboys. It, it worked. They, Greg Zoline bailed him out. Good for you, Greg, for stepping up after kind of, you know, struggling week number one. Was not good for the Cowboys, much needed, though. Those were losses that we saw them have in 2019 and 2020. Well, you know what? It's a tough team. The, the Chargers are. There's talent there. They had a winnable game. More times than not, we saw in 2019-2020, the Cowboys lose those games. Good to see. So far, they were able to flip this script and win one of those games that maybe they don't play great, and maybe they shouldn't have won. They did. And for the Titans, I'll give them credit. I was a big Titans doubter. I was a big, I don't say hater, but I really did not think that they were truly as good as a lot of people were, were trying to make them out to be this year. I predicted them to miss the playoffs. I thought they missed the playoffs, and I still do think that. But credit to them, because I almost guaranteed a one 2 start after they lost to the Cardinals last week. Hard to go into Seattle and win in general. It's how good the Seahawks looked last week against the Colts. I really thought this was going to be a, uh, a brutal game for Tennessee. And instead, it started off that way, right? Down 24-9 at halftime. Down 30-16 in the fourth quarter. I would have penciled in. I almost tweeted. Thank goodness I didn't. I almost tweeted. Thank goodness the Titans sting. That's the only thing making me feel better about this Colts loss. And I would have been able to take I suppose I would have gotten mocked a lot because eventually the Titans do come back, 
Went 33 to 30 in overtime. Credit to the Titans' defense. I get they gave up 30 points, but to shut Russell Wilson out in the fourth quarter in overtime, something not easy to do with the game on the line. They got the job done. Derrick Henry, I will say, I thought what we saw kind of last week would be more of a trend, not getting shut down to the level that he did where I think it was only 58 yards and 17 carries for Derrick Henry last year, uh, last week against the Cardinals. But the fact that, that he was able to return to the Derrick Henry that we saw just be a dominant tank for most of 2020 was impressive. 182 yards on the ground yesterday, much needed for this Tennessee offense. Three touchdowns. We're also adding 55 receiving yards to so over 200 all-purpose yards. You saw Ryan Tannehill kind of get back on track and play a lot better. Well, that's because the running game is really getting going, and the Seattle defense was was uh, having a tough time struggling with Derrick Henry, kind of trying to contain him. That led to some open passing lanes for Ryan Tannehill. He bounced back. A massive bounce-back victory for Tennessee. Their offense got back on track after just looking lost in week number one. This is also about Taylor Luan, who missed the game after getting hurt in pregame warm So the offensive line, they got beat up last week. Now it was without their starting left tackle. Did not matter. Props Tennessee, I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. That is a very impressive win. I thought they had no business winning. So I'm curious your thoughts. What, what is your biggest takeaway now from week number two in the NFL? Kind of bats around the league, gave you a few positives, gave you a few negatives. But for me, or for you, I should say, what is your biggest takeaway from week, uh, from week number two? Plenty of ways to get involved in the show. Worldwide Sports Network on, on Facebook. WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter. At Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. For me, I'll tell you what my biggest takeaway is. It has to do with the Ravens and Lamar Jackson. I'll tell you what that is when the Ryan Hickey Show does return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show with you on this gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous Monday morning. We appreciate you starting your one day, your Monday morning, and your week with us here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Just to ask you this question, you can comment whether it's on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, on Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, uh, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. What was your biggest takeaway from week number two in the NFL? For me, and I do the Sunday night game, Ravens-Chiefs. Because for me, the biggest takeaway from that game, the biggest takeaway from the weekend, was that I thought last night's win by the Ravens, specifically Lamar Jackson, was the biggest win of his career. I get he won a playoff game against the Titans. But to me, though, this win was so much more important for his confidence and the team's confidence going forward. Because this has been a team in the Kansas City Chiefs that have owned Lamar Jackson throughout his entire career. He's 0-3 before last night against Patrick Mahomes. You know what he is against the rest of the NFL? 30-5. and 30-5 and versus the rest of the NFL versus 0-3 versus the Chiefs before last night's game. He completed just 52% of his passes, averaged 170 passing yards per game when he went up against the Chiefs, where when he faced everybody else, 65% completion percentage, 192 passing yards per game. So the stats, again, jump up pretty big. That, that completion percentage jumping up, you know, 13 percentage points is a wide margin, few extra completions, over 20 yards per game passing more against everyone else compared to the Chiefs. He has a 78.8 passer rating 
against Kansas City compared to 104.9 versus everyone else in the NFL. For me, this is not just about avoiding an 0-2 start for the Ravens. This was about confidence. This was finally about slaying the dragon for the Baltimore Ravens because the Chiefs have owned them and owned Lamar. I just read you the stats. This Chiefs defense is not great. If they're average, that's pretty good for them. But yet, Lamar Jackson, one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, struggles only really against this Chiefs defense, whether it's mentally, whether he's trying to keep up with, with Patrick Mahomes, whether it's Steve Spagnuolo just having a great game plan that Lamar Jackson can't keep up with. It has always been a struggle. And I worried for me because the Ravens are putting a lot of pressure on themselves heading to this game. Sammy Watkins leading into the week saying Lamar needs to win this game. Marlon Humphrey addressing that the Chiefs have owned the Ravens in this rivalry. Lamar Jackson, while saying it's not about him and Patrick Mahomes, he's right. But last year, after these two teams played on Monday Night Football, which the Chiefs did win 34-20, Lamar Jackson called the Chiefs the Ravens kryptonite. This, to me, was about the Chiefs being in the Ravens' head. you got to overcome and finally beat a team because you don't beat them now. To me, they were not beating them again in the playoffs. It is a tall, almost impossible task if the Chiefs were to win this game. And let's say the Ravens, because I still would have predicted them to make the playoffs. For, and it's a Super Bowl or bust expectation now for the Ravens. right? I, it's, that's the team now you're going to have to get past the Chiefs to get to the Super Bowl. And anything short of that, I think, is a disappointment now in Baltimore with the levels of success they've had in the regular season and getting a playoff win last year for Lamar. Now the next step is Super Bowl. When it gets to the Super Bowl, you got to take down the Chiefs. And if you lose this game, now go to 0-4 Lamar Jackson's career. He struggled again on national TV against the Chiefs. I don't see how just mentally knowing in the back of your head, oh, this team has our number. They really can't beat us. How you can overcome that in a playoff game at Arrowhead Stadium in January. I don't think the Ravens could have. That's why to me this game was so important. It's not just one game and going one and one. It's about your confidence in Lamar. It's about your confidence about the rest of the team that, hey, we can beat any team on our schedule. We can take down the Chiefs in Arrowhead if we have to see them in the playoffs. I don't think they confidence-wise would have been able to think that and assume that and have that same swagger that we see from the Ravens when they're rolling if they had to play the Chiefs in Arrowhead Stadium in January if they lost this game. And that's why to me this game was much more than just one game on your schedule. It's about confidence on we can beat this team. They may have owned us in the past, but this is finally our year. And they did so, by the way, without Ronnie Stanley, without Rashad Bateman, without basically any running back they had on the roster before two weeks ago, without Marcus Peters. This team was banged up. It wasn't that just they were at full health versus full strength and they got it. They were banged up and Lamar Jackson still carried the Ravens on his back. He played really, really well. Two big rushing touchdowns, a big fourth down conversion. So it's not only that he helped win them the game, he was the reason why they did win the game, which is huge. Absolutely huge for his confidence going forward. He's had to overcome adversity and throwing two early interceptions, one that was returned for a touchdown. So to me, this win is giving the Ravens so much more confidence going forward they can carry with them the rest of the season. This is not just a win in September. This, to me, is a win that you look back on in January and be like, oh, yeah. Remember when the Ravens were banged up, injured? Lamar, uh, the Chiefs had Lamar's number. He just could not get over playing them. And eventually, he got it done. See, that's a win we look back on. We can look back on. Come playoff time and say, that is kind of what defines this team. That could be the confidence boost Lamar needs going forward here to really have a big playoff 
push. So that's why to me, this, this game is so important. And this win was so important for the Ravens. I would call it the biggest win of Lamar Jackson's career. He overcame the boogeyman. He slayed the dragon. He got it out of his head finally that the Chiefs owned the Ravens. The way he was talking this week, the way some of his teammates were talking this week, it sounds like they desperately needed the confidence that would come with beating the Chiefs, and they got that. It's To me, this is more than just a win. So congrats to the Ravens. Congrats to Lamar Jackson. I mean, that's the biggest takeaway from week number two. Week number two, though, is not over. We do have one last game on the schedule, Packers and Lions at Lambeau Field tonight. Now, this is a very... Very important game for the Packers. It's a must win. Now look, it's the Lions. I think they will win. I think they'll win handily. With that said, though, this is a very important game for Aaron Rodgers specifically here to quiet to try to quiet the noise that has really kind of been circling and surrounding this team since last week. Right? They get drubbed, absolutely killed by the Saints in Week One, thirty-eight to three. The offense looks inept. Aaron Rodgers at points looks disinterested. He looks apathetic. The offense couldn't get anything going. And obviously, as we know, the noise is built. The offseason drama that happened in Green Bay does now add questions and speculation. Hey, how much does that impact the team? Is Aaron Rodgers truly committed? Can this offense really truly be as good as we think? And who knows? We don't know how Mark Murphy and Brian Gutekunst are thinking. We know that they don't want Aaron Rodgers long-term. If this goes south, if Aaron Rodgers struggles tonight, or hell, if the Lions win, if Dan Campbell's biting off kneecaps, they're having another big fourth quarter comeback, and Detroit pulls off a stunner and wins today. Not only is the noise surrounding the Packers only going to grow, the distractions only going to become more magnified going forward here. Who knows? Mark Murphy, Brian Gutekunst, maybe they already start thinking, let's pull the ripcord. Yeah, maybe, you know, in-season trader Aaron Rodgers. Maybe we should get rid of him now and let's start ushering the future with Jordan Love, get him some reps the second half of the year and then really push forward to 2022 with our Jordan Love campaign. I'm not saying that's going to happen. I have no inside information with anything at all. I'm just saying, some of these results do change quickly here, and we know in the NFL things change quick. Maybe how you thought, you know, your approach heading into the year, maybe that changes with an unexpected loss. Week one was unexpected with how they played, and I think a lot of people picked, including yours truly and Hickey Spickies, the Packers to win that game. They did it. No one saw just this absolute destruction that we saw happen on Sunday. Now, Monday Night Football, everyone's watching against an inferior opponent. Aaron Rodgers admitted that they overlooked the Saints in week number one. You want to calm down your fans. You want to calm down the speculation surrounding your team. You got to win tonight and win in impressive fashion. I think the, the Packers will. I'm not predicting, predicting an upset. I'm not predicting this game to be close. This is, to me, a get-right game for the Packers here. You play well. Everyone forgets about last week. It's a blip on the radar. Okay, you know what? Eh, last week was one bad game. They're moving forward. They'll be fine. The distractions are in, uh, in, the, you know, in, in the back, left behind, and they're moving forward. You lose. Aaron Rodgers plays like he did on Sunday where he went 15-28 for 133 yards and two interceptions. And, whew, you ready for this? Posted a whopping 13.8 QB rating. That happens again. Oh, boy. Put your earmuffs on in Green Bay in the state of Wisconsin because the noise is going to grow louder. The distractions are going to become more and more. The questions to Rodgers, to the team, to the coach will become way more going forward if you lose this game. So must win for the Packers. Got to look, you know, you got to kind of try to rid the stink 
of that week one loss off you. I think they will. I have no doubts that they'll win. I'm just saying, man, if they lose this game, holy cow, forget it. It is going to get noisy, and it is going to be a very bumpy and um, interesting road for the rest of the season. That's right to me. This is a very big game here for the Packers tonight. We'll take the Packers. I'll go 31-14. They handle business and take it on the road. We do oh, get, the, get the show moving, I should say, going forward. So, you know, getting the show moving, that will do it here for this edition of the Reineke Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. Appreciate all those who tuned in, got your week started with us right here on the Worldwide Sports Network. We are here every Monday, every Thursday, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. on the Worldwide Sports Network. So we'll, we, we will, easy for me to say, be back on Thursday morning. So have a great rest of your week. Stay safe, stay sane, and we'll talk to you on Thursday. Get you ready for week number three of the NFL when the Ryan Key Show does return on Thursday morning. So we'll talk to you then. Stay safe, stay sane. We'll talk to you on Thursday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio.